allow me to welcome uh, Dave, Mark, and Sue uh, to share with us uh, this evening uh, from God's Word. Uh, I met Dave and Sue a couple, I don't remember how many years they were ago, but uh, it was during a family conference here in Uganda. And I can promise you, we covered so much material for those days he was with us. But one thing that I remember are two words, sofa time, sofa time. And that, that has stayed with us. That has, I want to say, made our marriage better than it would have been. Just time to spend with my wife away from the kids. And I think the statement was, tell the kids, unless there is blood, unless there is fire, please do not knock on this door. And uh, it's that moment where you return from work and just find out from your wife, how has your day been? How has, even though you work at the same place, like some of us who work with World of Life, just find out how has your day been? And catch up with that time uninterrupted, uninterrupted. And that has, has just gotten us closer and closer and closer. And so I really, really appreciate the time we spent together, Dave. And so thank you so much for your ministry. I, I think it, it made a lot of difference in our marriage. And I still look forward to learning from you tonight. But Dave and Sue, you're welcome. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, and again, it's, it's good to be back the three days together once again after a couple <laughs> of years. Uh, I'm not sure if every guest on your show is named Dave or David, but uh, that's an honor uh, for us. We want to talk tonight about being single to the glory of God, which means a change in focus in the way that so many people view singlehood or singleness. Um, so many people approach the subject with fear. In fact, I, I like to collect words that describe different Fears. I'm not sure if you've heard of some of these. One that we know very well is claustrophobia, which would be the fear of closed spaces. But there's a lot of others like arachnophobia. I have that. That's the fear of spiders or acrophobia, this fear of heights. There's even a chorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. And a lot of people uh, have that fear. I found another one called ergophobia, coming from the Greek as well, which means the fear of work. Uh, phalacrophobia, which I get more and more each day, which is the fear of growing, going bald. <laughs> but the one I want to talk about tonight is actually uh, a word. It's anuptophobia. Anuptophobia is the fear of singleness. And we want to talk tonight about changing the fear that some people have concerning singleness, a paralyzing fear to a form of joy that you and David have already talked about tonight. And I, I would even, in addition to the idea, the testimony that David gave, uh, the joy, I would add the idea of purpose. And that's what we want to talk about there may be some married people who are listening in tonight, as well as different single ones. This subject is not just for single people. Uh, as your question already revealed, David, uh, part of the, the biggest part of the problem are other people who pressure single people into a civil state that God has not called them to. So our subject is applicable really on, on several le uh, levels, and, and Carol Sue can share some of those with us. Um, 
Okay, it's applicable for obviously people who are single because all of us will serve God as singles at some point in our lives. Um, until we get married, we are single and God wants us to honor him and serve him during that time in our lives as well. Uh, for parents, we need to be preparing our children because they will be single for a while. And so how does God want them to use the time in which they are single? And for youth workers and counselors who are working with youth and preparing them, um, many of them are single. Some will be single for a short time. Some will be single for a longer time. But youth workers need to know how to help them. I think a phrase that we could use to sum up much of what we'd like to say and which David has already shared, uh, but maybe in a condensed version would be simply this. It is far better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. You know, uh, some time ago, Carol Sue and I were ministering in far southern Brazil where much of the shoe factories who export shoes to the United States uh, are produced. And we stayed at the home of a man who owned a factory that produced about 600,000 pairs of shoes for export each year. His sons actually went to university to study shoe design. I didn't even know that you could major in something like that. But thinking about his factory, I had to wonder if the assembly line of shoe production at his, his factory only produced, or let's say half of all of the shoes that were produced came out defective in such a way that he had to throw them away. What would he do? The owner of a shoe factory that was producing 50% of defective material would stop the entire production line. He would go back to discover which machines were causing the problem. Where was the problem to be found? Now, here's the amazing thing that I just can't understand. We are producing today couples, forcing relationships oftentimes and in some places of the world and even in the church, the divorce rate comes to about 50%. Now, that's not everywhere. And in some places that has improved. In other places, it's getting worse. But what do we do? We don't stop the production. We don't look at the assembly line. We don't retool the machines. We just keep doing the same thing we've always done. And it's not working. I would say that if we're doing anything or learning anything, it's that we are practicing for divorce. Our means of relationships, of dating, and even sometimes courtship can lead us into situations where we are simply preparing ourselves for failure. In that sense, I deeply believe that we need to stop the assembly line, go back and look at what we're doing, both in singleness as well as in marriage, which will be the subject of what we'll be talking about on Wednesday and Friday night. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that, that is very powerful to me. Since I was a teenager, I heard a message on Psalm 11, verse 3, a question 
that the psalmist raises when he says this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a great question. Because we live in a society, in a world, a global culture, a global village, where the foundations of family and marriage are being destroyed. And most of that begins in singleness. The destruction of the family starts with singles. Now, the answer to that question in Psalm 11 is Psalm 127. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is reconstruct the foundations. Restudy, rework the assembly line. And that's what we're doing here tonight and the other programs we'll be sharing this week. What we'd like to do is just share seven biblical principles about being single to the glory of God. And the principle really summarized, especially out of the texts that David has already shared with us tonight in 1 Corinthians 7, which is the principal text for singles in the Bible, would simply be this. God calls some people to serve him as singles to his glory. We could actually restate that to say that God calls all people to serve him as singles for his glory, at least during part of their lives. All of us were single. Some of us are single. And most of us will be single again, unless the two of us die in a car crash or Jesus comes back. We will probably serve him once again. So this is a, a foundational lesson. We can waste a major portion of our lives if we fail to take advantage of our singleness for God's glory. And we're going to go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'd like Carol Sue to read for us verses 1, 2, and 8 of 1 Corinthians 7. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." When we look at 1 Corinthians 7 and even answering, David, a question that you raised earlier, there seems to be a contradiction here. If in Genesis chapter 2, God said it is not good for the man to be alone, and yet the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, chapter 7 verse 8 says, I say that it is good for them to remain single. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? No, David already answered that question because a few verses later, we understand that God calls different ones specifically to different spheres of ministry, of involvement, of a civil status. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35, Paul goes on to explain what David has also mentioned earlier 
concerning the cares of this world, which are a responsibility once you are married. Your primary job description is to promote the welfare, happiness, and Christ-likeness of your spouse. But that becomes your primary ministry. The single person has the privilege and opportunity during those years to serve God in other ways and in some sense in broader ways. Listen to these verses. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, here's the problem. Some people see the word worldly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with regard to the married person and conclude, therefore, that marriage is somehow worldly. That is not what Paul is saying. We know from the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, a passage that talks about the first year of marriage, that the husband's primary responsibility is not to go to war, not to take on added ministry or societal responsibilities, but he is to stay at home and please his wife. We know from Proverbs 31, the poem about the virtuous woman, that she has a responsibility to please her husband. And so these are not worldly in the sense of ungodly, carnal activities. If you are married, your first responsibility, your first and primary sphere of ministry is to your spouse. But when you're a single person, you do not have that added obligation. And as some have even commented here on the podcast, you are free, but not just free to have a great time, to go to parties and to travel and to be at the beach. The focus in 1 Corinthians 7 is that you are more free than any married person to be able to serve God without distraction. If because of bodily desires that God has placed within you, a desire for companionship, the sexual desire, and much more, that you are unable to serve God single-heartedly without division, then you should marry. The reason is not to satisfy all your desires. The whole focus of the chapter is that you can serve God in an undivided way. So let's just list for you all uh, some of the principles in the scriptures concerning singleness. And hopefully we'll have a few moments at the end, David. Maybe you'll, there'll be some questions just to clarify things that might not have been clear. Number one, biblical principles about singleness. Spirituality is not measured by marital status just as the Catholic Church and some other religious groups have promoted chastity, virginity, uh, perpetual singleness as a higher form of grace, the scriptures are clearly against that idea. 
First Thessalonians chapter four talks a little bit about that as well. First Timothy, excuse me. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage. First Timothy chapter four casts some light on this idea that spirituality is not measured by marital status. Demons are actually involved in preventing marriage in promoting a form of celibacy that is not a biblical practice. Going back to 1 Corinthians 7, let's think about this passage again. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So now we add a third text, which talks about something that is good or not good. Genesis 2 said it was not good for the man to be alone. 1 Corinthians 7 says it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In other words, to be married. And we already saw the third text. So what we can learn from the scriptures is that our identity, biblical spirituality does not depend on your marital status. It is completely independent. This is not, uh, a person is not more spiritual because they are married or are not married. That leads us to the second principle, number two. While we are single, we must trust in the sovereignty and providence of God. I'll repeat that. While we are single, and all of us will be, perhaps are, and will once again be single in our lives, we must trust in a good, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, providential God. Now, here's a passage that I love. It's not talking about singleness, but it's from the book of Genesis. I call it the 50-20 principle because it comes from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. These are the words of Joseph after being betrayed by his very own family. And yet in that family context, his family of origin, the, the rivalry between brothers, the favoritism practiced by his parents, Joseph saw God's hand in his family status, in his situation. They meant evil, but God had a bigger plan. Our singleness is not something evil. It's not God being against us. Everybody else is getting married, but I'm the only one who is not. God has a greater purpose. We know Romans 8, 28, but not always do we understand it in light of its context. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is working out his purpose in each one of our lives, whether it be as single people or married people. The next verse explains what that purpose is. Romans 8, 29 says that God is conforming us to the image of his son. It's as though God were the divine sculptor. 
He uses his word to chisel away at areas in our lives that don't look like Jesus. And he definitely does that during those special years of preparation and of ministry that are called singleness. Now, I'd like Carol Sue to share with you a story about what happened with our youngest daughter. We have six children. Uh, All of them had been married, but not Kayla. Kayla always wanted to be a wife and a mother. And she thought that when she finished her schooling, that's exactly what would happen. But it did not happen. And so she had to find out what was it that God wanted her to do with her life. So she was working and she thought, this is not, this is not doing anything for eternity. I'm single. I have no debt. I have no one depending on me. I can really invest my life in the kingdom. So she started planning on going to Portugal to help a missionary family over there. Well, soon after those plans were coming together, we here at home, um, through a series of circumstances, had um, to take care of a baby granddaughter who had very, very serious medical issues and needed care around the clock. And it was more than we could handle on our own. And so our daughter thought, how can I go help another family when my family needs help? So she came back home to Brazil at a time when she would not be coming home to Brazil. At the same time, a young man, Brazilian, from our church here in Brazil, they had been friends growing up, but he had gone off to England and had been working over there for a year and a half. And through a series of issues, God brought him back to Brazil, also totally unplanned, And um, they arrived back in Brazil at the same time. And it was very interesting while both of them pursued what it was that God wanted them to do, how they could invest their lives, how they, they could serve in his kingdom. God drew them together and now they are married and parents of a little six month old boy. So we need to understand that God's time is not our time. And that actually leads us to the third principle. We've seen that spirituality is not measured by whether you're married or single. While we're single, we must trust in the sovereignty and providence of God. Number three, while single, we should follow Song of Solomon's advice. The book of Song of Solomon is a love story which summarizes the biblical principles of engagement, marriage, love, and the sexual relationship. There are two choruses that the book of Song of Solomon repeats three times. The first is the chorus of patience. And that would be the first advice from Song of Solomon that a single person should follow as hard as it may seem. Three times the book echoes the chorus. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. We already mentioned earlier, it is far better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. Three times the Shulamite cries out to the the ladies in waiting, her best friends, and asks them to help her to be patient. There are times when we need a, an accountability group so that we can be content 
in our singleness. But there's a second chorus, and this is the second word of advice in the Song of Solomon. It's the chorus of purity. First, the chorus of patience, and then the chorus of purity. Three times in different formats, we read this. My beloved is mine, and I am my beloved's. Those phrases are turned around as love matures throughout the book in the, the marriage of Solomon and the Shulamite woman. But the idea is that our heart in God's providence already belongs to someone else. We have no business to give our heart to another before the moment that we say, I do at the altar. While young, while single, we should follow Solomon's advice of patience in God's sovereignty and purity, guarding our hearts from all intruders and keeping our garden pure. Number four, while single, we should prepare ourselves in every possible way to fulfill possible future roles in the home. I'll say that again. While single, we should be preparing ourselves intellectually, physically, spiritually, so that if God someday calls us to marriage, to family life, that we would be the most prepared we possibly can. Listen to a few verses that share this kind of idea in the scriptures. Luke 2, 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor before God and men. Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All of those texts point to one idea. We are to be constantly growing. Singleness is perhaps one of the most fruitful times in our lives, not to be focused on our own belly button, but to grow not only in personality and wisdom and character and godliness in Christ likeness, but also in service to others. We need to be preparing ourselves to be the most godlike, Christ-like spouse if God calls us to marriage. And if not, nothing has been lost. I love the verse in Proverbs 24, 27, which says this, prepare your work outside Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your home. I believe the idea, this biblical principle of wisdom, is that we be constantly growing and preparing ourselves for what God might have tomorrow, and not just going to parties or enjoying ourselves, but learning to serve and to serve others. Number five is related to the fourth principle. While we are single, we should take advantage of our liberty to invest 
in kingdom projects which might be difficult to do later. You probably know the verses from Ecclesiastes 12, which say exactly this. Verses 1 and 2. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. When I was in university, I had the opportunity as a single man to go to Africa. It was the first missionary experience that I had. I played soccer with a team from our university. We went to Liberia and the Ivory Coast to help open fields for the missionaries. That would have been extremely difficult as a young man of 20 years of age, 1920, if I had been married at that time. While we are single, there are so many opportunities, especially for travel and ministry, for missions that we can take advantage of. Here's number six, the next to last one as our time comes to a close. While single, we must learn to be content in any and all circumstances. We must learn contentment. Because if you are not content as a single person, you will not be content as a married individual. Philippians 4, so well known, says exactly that. Verses 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our last principle, number seven, couples the idea of divine sovereignty and God's providence with our activity. Human responsibility is always balanced in the scriptures with divine sovereignty. And so number seven, our last principle says this, the single young person who believes God would have him or her marry should also do his part, always while moving forward with plans for life. In other words, we don't sit around twiddling our thumbs waiting for Prince Charming to show up at the door or for the enchanted princess to let down her golden hair from the tower. We need to do our part as well. Now you ask, but Pastor Dave, what biblical proof do you have for that? It's interesting that a number of biblical stories point to that principle. For example, the book of Ruth. Ruth was busy serving others when she met Boaz, but she was active. She was working. She was out in the field. And when her mother-in-law instructed her to make a, a marriage proposal to Boaz, she did her part. The Shulamite woman in the book of Song of Solomon is the same way. In a remote corner near the country of Lebanon, in the farthest reaches of Israel, where it looked like no Prince Charming would ever arrive, but she was there and ready when Solomon came calling. I guess I would sum up everything we've talked about here with just this one big idea. Your satisfaction in life does not depend on your marital status, 
but on your eternal identity in Christ. Our satisfaction in life is not with being single or married, but on who we are in Christ Jesus. These principles for biblical singleness can apply to so many other areas in our lives. But we're going to stop here. Our time is done. We've been marking it. It's been 30 minutes. And I'm going to turn it back to David to see if there's any questions or anything else that we need to answer. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, maybe a hand clap for uh, Dave and the time that he's spent just uh, sharing with us. I mean, after seven principles, I do not think <laughs> I do not think I have any questions. And uh, it, it's it's just amazing. It's just amazing how I mean, for me, you left me at the beginning when you talked about that shoe um, uh, making machine. Where I mean, if there's a problem. At the end of the line, we have to go and check out what in the process is wrong. And I think singleness at this point is the foundation. When we have terrible marriages, I think we got it wrong while we were still single. And I love the way you concluded in, in saying it's all boiling down our identity in Christ. We need to be able to uh, have a vision and, and a heartbeat to glorify God, whether single or married. And I think that's where we get it wrong. Uh, when we begin to compare, when we begin to wish for other things that we don't have. So thank you, and thank you so much. Maybe one question um, that I may have for you, either you or, or Sue can choose to answer this, or both of you, is we want to understand you more. We want to get to know you more. We want to be your friend and uh, maybe continue having you on the show. But could you kindly share with us, if you can rewind the tip a couple of years back, when you were single, when you are single, just take us back to those uh, last moments just before you met and got married. Just share with us your life. Um, just briefly, <laughs> how did you how did you get married? You are not married your whole life. You were single at some point. So please take us back and just share with us. How did you meet? Okay, well, that is a very interesting story. It's a long story, and I'll try to be brief and let Carol Sutton also jump in here. Uh, we actually met at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City. The reason we met there was because uh, my wife, Carol Sue's grandfather, was the founder of the ministry Word of Life International, now in 75 countries and 1,600 missionaries, Jack Wurtson. And she was coming up from Brazil to study at the same university that her brother and I studied at. We were both captains on the soccer team. And her brother asked me and another friend to be waiting at JFK Airport in case her connecting flight was delayed. Now, I had already seen pictures of my friend, whose name is also David. I had seen pictures of his sister, and I was really hoping that she would miss her connecting flights because we would drive her up to Word of Life headquarters in Scroon Lake, New York. And as God graciously and providentially would have it, her flight from Brazil was delayed. She missed her connecting flight. And I had five <laughs> hours in the car with her and with oh, another man. fellow. And that's how it all began. But I, I guess, David, a principle that's really important here, for, even though it was love at first sight for me, uh, and she's still working on that 40, 40 years later, 
But I would say <laughs> that we developed a deep friendship. We, we, mm. um, our, our siblings were close friends as well. We ate together. We went to basketball games together. We started running together in the middle of winter in the United States, but we were not dating. In fact, mm. I had to come all the way to Brazil to meet her parents and ask permission just to officially be dating her. And that was expensive, but it changed my life because God gave me not only my <laughs> wife, but a country where I could play soccer all of the time. And he gave me my future role as a professor at Word of Life Bible Seminary, the, first, the very first Word of Life school in the world. Uh, he gave me a family that, that was a... a a stable, godly family. I came in part to, to get to know their family because my family was dysfunctional. For me, it was a little bit different emphasis. Um, I had studied at the Word of Life Bible Seminary here in Brazil, asked me to go to the United States for university. I did not want to go. I wanted to stay in Brazil, study here, marry a Brazilian, and live in Brazil. But I had been taught to be obedient, submissive to my parents, and they very much wanted me to go to the United States, to go to university. So I did. And I was praying that my flight would not be delayed and that I would make my connecting <laughs> flight because I did not want to spend five hours in a car with two people I didn't know. But um, Dave's prayers were more powerful than mine. And what happened, though, was we became really good friends, like he said. And um, that was a very, very important thing to develop a friendship before anything, um, anything deeper developed. But submission to authorities was a very big principle. And this would not have happened. I would have never met him if I had not obeyed my parents. Wow. Okay, every story is different, and uh, I mean, Dave, you're a better man. All you needed was five hours. Some people have had five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, there's a lot more to the story, but we'll tell that some other time. And, and I hope your listeners come back on Wednesday and Friday night, because we're going to talk about uh, once you are married, but what, what do you do to get ready to be a husband and father? And what do you do to be ready to be a, a, a wife and mother in these single years, if God calls you to that? Uh, remembering that our, our, our focus is not marriage in itself. Our focus is expanding our ministry for the kingdom of God and his glory. That is our focus and doing that the best way we can, whether it be married or single. <laughs>